Hey there, before we get started with the show, we just want to let you know today's Crypto Daily Briefing is in partnership with the Crypto Phenom Letter. This is a one-of-a-kind premium investment newsletter service that highlights the next winners coming in cryptocurrency tokens and equities. Get special access today at phenomcrypto.com slash realvision. That's phenomcrypto.com slash realvision. Dr. Ben Gertzel, CEO of Singularity Net. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Hey, good to be here. Ben, it's great to have you. Looking forward to this conversation. Excited to talk about AI and crypto and the nexus thereof. But first, we've got a little bit of news flow this morning, and I want to take a look at some price action. First up, Bitcoin trading right now, 25653 uh, One day that's off about five and a half, oh, we'll call it 5.7%. It's dropping right now on my screen and yours on some news flow that we're going to talk about in just a second here. Uh, but first, I want to talk about Ethereum. Ethereum right now uh, trading at $1,789. It's off about uh, nearly 4% in the last hour, off about 6% in the last 24 hours, trailing seven days off about 5%. All of this happening in the wake of revelations that SEC has sued crypto exchange Binance over its violation of U.S. rules and law. Uh, this is a breaking story. It's developing here hard and quickly in the last, uh, call it 60 minutes or so. I want to just read this to you right out of the Wall Street Journal so you have a sense of what's going on. Uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission on Monday sued Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, alleging the overseas company operated an illegal exchange in the United States. The SEC also named Chengpen Zhao, better known, of course, as CZ, Binance's founder and controlling shareholder, as a defendant. This is personally. The SEC said that Binance and Zhao misused customer funds and even diverted them to a trading entity that Zhao controlled. The trading firm Sigma Chain engaged in fraudulent trading that made Binance volume appear larger than it actually was, the SEC said. This is from a Wall Street Journal article, uh, literally within the last 30 minutes or so, uh, that has just crossed the wire. With that as backdrop, Ben, an eventful day. It's great to have you here. Yeah, great to be here. And I mean, the crypto markets have been uh, completely insane in various respects since I got into this space since 2017. So, I mean, you sort of, after a while, get used to like, uh, let, let that happen and focus on, on on building ama amazing, amazing stuff, which is uh, what we've been doing in SingularityNet, or at least, or at least trying to. Ben, you are someone who has been in the AI space for a long time. You wear a lot of hats. Talk a little bit about your background, how you got to where we are today, and all of the things that you're doing right now in this space that represents the interface between artificial intelligence and blockchain. Sure. Yeah, I've been doing. AI since uh, mid-1980s, really, and got my PhD in math in 89, but already then I was doing AI prototyping, experimenting, and R&D, and, you know, reading about AI since the early 70s when, when, when I was a kid, AI has been around a while. The, the term artificial intelligence was coined in the, in the late 50s, I guess, and already there had been research like that going on for a couple of decades before. So AI, AI has been building up for quite some time with prototypes and, and research and, and ideas and even deployed commercial systems for many decades. But of course, there's there's never before been such an 
explosion of AI capability as, as, as we've seen, you know, in the, in the last couple of years, even, even the last six months. So it's a super exciting time to be doing AI. You know, what got me into the AI field in the first place was the promise of what I eventually came to call AGI or artificial general intelligence, meaning AI that could generalize, take imaginative and creative leaps beyond its programming and beyond its its training data and thus, you know, advance itself much like much like people at our best are are able to do. And I introduced the term AGI in I guess 2004 or five, and I've been organizing AGI research conferences since then. Of course, when I got into crypto, I used AGI as the the ticker symbol for for SingularityNet's uh, token. We then changed to AGIX as we made it made it cross cross chain. But the tension between narrow AI for specific applications and AGI, meaning AI that's broader and can extend to any application basically beyond its programming or training. This has really been there since the beginning and is interesting to think about in, in, the, in the current market, right? Like in the, in the very beginning of the AI field in, in the 50s and 60s, people were after AGI, though they didn't have that term. They were after machines that could really think like people. They thought it would be much easier and they thought it would just be a few years of hacking, right? And then, then gradually people started to realize how hard it was to make a machine do some of the basic things people take for granted, like recognize pictures or, or make legs walk walk down the street. But that it was, you know, counterintuitively simple to make an AI do some things that were really hard for people, like solve algebra equations or play checkers or chess at, at the master level, right? So then the AI field sort of split into people focused on making AI systems just do practical stuff that seems smart when people do it by hook or by crook versus this, this research toward making machines that can really think in a, in a broad and general sense more like more like people can and now AI doing specific tasks got a big boost when the internet came out obviously just because there was you know there was networks of machines and there was more and more data to, to feed feed into the AIs and AGI R&D on making real thinking machines has been progressing at a smaller scale along, along, along the side. Let me just you know, jump in here. To, let me just so, jump in here to frame this up a second yeah, yeah, just so yeah, I can yeah, get yeah, sure. so I can get because I know it's a yeah. it's a tremendous amount of information and I want to make sure that we can explain it to people in a way that they can form some kind of categories in their yeah, head to, to break it down. You are really one of the true experts in this space. Uh, pretty extraordinary uh, that you've coined the term. AGI, artificial general intelligence, a great debate about where we are uh, with regard to AGI right now. Uh, you alluded to something called Moravec's paradox, uh, the notion of some things that appear to be relatively simple, physical motor activities, uh, sensory motor activities, uh, much more complicated for computers to do than basic algebra. Uh, you mentioned singularity. There's just a whole lot of concepts here for us to unpack. I'm excited to get to do it with so let's talk a little bit about, you know, one of the things that really strikes me and something that you alluded to uh, initially there in your remarks is this, this idea was for a very long period of time, uh, AI was coming, it was coming, it was just around the corner. Uh, it seemed like it was just around the corner for decades. And then 
suddenly there just seems to be this explosion within the last six months. And some of this is probably the, the degree of popularization uh, that ChatGPT has created uh, in the business world and more general news cycles. But talk a little bit about what's happened here uh, in the last, say, six to 12 months that's created this just explosion of new use cases, applications, sure. and view. Yeah, I would say progress on AI has felt a lot more continuous from the inside when you're working on, on research and, 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 and development. So I can see from an end user's point of view, it's like, whoa, I wasn't doing anything I could see or understand. And then boom, suddenly it's making pictures and writing documents for me, right? But from, from the standpoint of someone in the middle of the research field, AI has been making pictures and writing documents for a long time just not quite as well, and it took a huge amount of compute power to, to, to do so. So, and AI, I mean, it's been proving, proving math theorems and predicting, predicting markets to controlling robots. So AI has been doing a lot of things for a long time. There, there has been a, you know, a jump, an inflection point in the last six months, but it's not, it's not, probably not as big as, as it appears to the, to the, the retail and end user, but I, I I do think from a sort of economic point of view and societal impact point of view, the launch of ChatGPT by by OpenAI is a sort of black swan event, right? I mean, it, it's it, it, it's a big deal that changes everything. Even though there are very few new ideas inside the ChatGPT code base, and it doesn't really work that much better than things that existed before it. But I mean, it was rolled out to the public at large with a very simple interface. Everyone's using it. Everyone's thinking about it. Everyone's customizing it, right? So certainly in terms of public visibility, public enthusiasm, and just amount of resources going behind developing and deploying it, it's a, it's a black swan event, right? And it's, it's quite interesting and, and important from, from that standpoint. I mean, I think it's important to clarify that chat GPT, I mean, while it can impersonate human intelligence effectively in some settings, it's certainly not a human level general intelligence. I mean, it doesn't deviate too far from its training data. It's just that its training data is the whole goddamn web, right? So, I mean, it's it's got right. a lot of data in its mind. So it doesn't have to deviate too far from its training data to do some to do some pretty impressive stuff. From an economic right. standpoint, it may well be that minor variations on GPT-4 and and related systems, because there's a lot of other ones out there now. It may may well be that minor variations on this type of of transformer neural net could do who knows, you know, 70, 80, 85 percent of jobs that that people do now and just because most jobs people do are minor variations on stuff that's been done in the past, right? So you, hey, that's you a don't striking. need to take a big leap, big leap beyond experience to do most of what people get get paid for, right? So it's like on on the one hand, no, it's not yet a human level thinking machine, and we can talk about what the gap is, which I'm trying to right. to fill to use ChatGPT type systems to jump toward human level intelligence. On 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 the other hand, even without being at human level intelligence, well, it can be massive disruption to the economy and a right. lot of the disruption that one might have thought would happen only after you had 
human level AGI, a lot of that disruption could happen beforehand, right? If these, you know, massive scale narrow AI systems trained on everything in the web can take over most human jobs, that's going to trigger tremendous disruption and then reorganization economically and societally. Well, I'm really eager to talk about the jobs component because I think that 80% number uh, that you cited has gotten some buzz, uh, some headlines around uh, you talking about it here in the last couple of weeks. I'm talking about here in mainstream media. Uh, this has gotten quite a great deal of pickup. Before we talk about that, I want to ask you about AGI versus the singularity. Uh, these are two terms that are floating around out there. Can you define them and compare and contrast uh, those two points in terms of the the general sure. trajectory? No, I, I think I think that's that's important. So. AGI is a very general term, I mean, artificial general intelligence, and humans are by no means the most general intelligences that are possible, right? I mean, we're, we're pretty smart, we're, but we're in a way the minimum possible artificial general intelligence, you know, capable of building its successor. So, I mean, humans are an inflection point, not because we're the smartest thing that will ever exist, but because you know, apes and dolphins and 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 uh, chickens cannot engineer their successor. They're they're just sort of uh, un unwitting parts of the evolutionary process. So you can talk about human level AGI, meaning software systems that can do general intelligence at roughly the level of humans. Meaning that you know their stupidest component is at least around the human level. They might be smarter in some things, but then you could talk about superhuman AGIs, general intelligences that are way smarter than 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 people in the same way that we're smarter than chimpanzees, mice, or, or slugs, right? And what's interesting is when you have a human level general intelligence, if it can program and do engineering, it should be able to improve its infrastructure so as to turn itself into a superhuman general intelligence, right? So if you look forward from here, I think there's going to be a threshold event, another black swan event when someone makes a human level general intelligence that's even smarter, that's as smart as people in every significant regard and a little smarter in, or a lot smarter in many regards. But then after that, you're going to see another black swan event where that human level AGI has reprogrammed itself to make itself way, way smarter than people, which has been called an ASI or artificial super intelligence, right? So once once you get that ASI, that artificial superintelligence, then in a sense, all, all bets are off, right? I mean, you, you have something 10 or 100 times more generally intelligent than, than people on, on, on the planet. And I mean, we can speculate about what that's going to lead to, but it, it's hard to, hard to analyze in depth. That's what Ray Kurzweil and Werner Vinge and others have called the, the singularity thinking at that, at that point. You know, your phone may be making 10 Nobel Prize level discoveries every minute. So in a way, the rate of progress of knowledge and invention becomes effectively infinite from the from the comparison point of, of human intelligence. Now, the interesting thing is the timing of these things could be rather soon. I mean, I think we could be at human level AGI within, say, three, five or seven years from now, and we could then be at superintelligence within a few years after that, right? And so this is this is the conclusion that rational analysis leads me to, but it's pretty mind-blowing from a, a personal and emotional standpoint and hard to incorporate that sort of analysis into, into your everyday life, right? Like in, 
in your everyday life, you're thinking about like, how do I plan for my, my kids to go to college and where I'm going to live when I, when I get old and retire? But then analytically, you're thinking, well, shit, if it's three or five years to a human level thinking machine and three years after that to a machine 100 times smarter than people, like, what is that? My, by the time my five-year-old gets to college, we may all be like floating around in, in a hundred-dimensional space or just, you know, instead of a phone, we have a molecular assembler that builds anything we we describe to it, right? And so it's it's a quite dislocating time in yeah. history to be alive, which I, I find quite fun and many other people seem to find disturbing. <laughs> well, I find it both fun and disturbing, I guess. Uh, it, it is really uh, kind of the the best and worst of times in terms of risks. You talk about this idea of 80% of human jobs being eliminated. This got a lot of buzz and a lot of pickup in the last couple of weeks, uh, mostly uh, from you actually citing that statistic. Talk a little bit about uh, what that would mean in terms of the actual implementation, how those jobs disappear, uh, and what your thoughts are about the impact that it will have on broader society. Yeah, so first of all, the, the 80% figure is definitely back of the envelope. I mean, I may write up a formal paper on this at some point, but I mean, I just crudely went over the different job categories that are analyzed by by US government and sort of tried to think myself through which pieces of which job should you be able to do without AGI, but with really smart, narrow AI by integrating chat GBT type systems with other tools that we have now. And it comes out with pretty much all of what humans do for a living. You can automate without, without AGI. I mean, the, there's a few exceptions. I mean, exceptions would be things like a, a preschool teacher or a therapist. They're just about people helping other people to be, to be better people and sort of rely on human connection. I mean, very advanced level of science and engineering I mean, ChatGPT can't can't do that, and probably requires human level general intelligence. And then, you know, strate strategic thinking, where you're trying to go beyond anything that happened in 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 history before, or the the sort of high end of the fine arts, where you're inventing a new genre of music or being an, an incredible virtuoso or something. But that this this is not that high a percentage of what people get get paid for, right? So I mean, right. I, I, I think. Most of what people get paid for is, in a way, a minor variation on stuff that's been done an awful lot of times before. And also, with the way modern society is organized, it doesn't require such a deep, like, I-thou connection between, between one, human, one human and another. Actually, society has been organized to minimize the amount of deep and fundamental human, human contact that is, that, that, that's, that's required, required during, during, during the day in, in, in a job setting. So, I mean, I think this is is huge. It happens to be less huge than the advent of true human level AGI, which happens to be less huge than super intelligence. But even this earlier thing of most jobs being obsoleted by infra-human level AGI is going to be big economically. I mean, I think, obviously, for those who are deploying the AGI, there's tremendous business opportunity. Which includes both both of us, I, I would suppose. I think in the developed world, it's almost inevitable you're going to have some form of universal basic income getting getting rolled out because, I mean, there's already a lot of talk about it, and I just can't see 
developed countries letting like half their population become homeless and, 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 and starving. What worries me more is what happens in the in the developing world, right? Because there there just isn't money to give everyone basic income. And right. we're not very good at sharing wealth between the developed and, and developing world. You, you may see very exploitative geopolitical dynamics where, I mean, superpowers, you know, offer developing countries like offers they can't refuse, like give us give us all your minds and military control of your country in exchange for giving you money not to let your, your urban poor starve. Right. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of weird things that could happen. And one of the yeah. one of the trade offs, which is interesting, is on the one hand, you could say the best way not to have chaos, mayhem, starvation and conflict during the rollout of smarter and smarter AI systems will be to accelerate progress even faster. Because once once you have a super AGI, presumably it could create abundance for, for everyone at, at minimal effort, including in the developing world. On the other hand, accelerating progress toward a super AGI could be viewed as a higher risk thing thing to do because you might say you want to be careful and make sure you're building the right sort of, of of super AGI, right? So on the one hand, there's tremendous humanitarian benefits of accelerating progress if you can do it right. On the other hand, there's tremendous risks to, to accelerating progress. And then, then you see in a global competitive context, there's risks to each country in accelerating progress of AI within their borders, if they can do it in a way that fulfills their interests, right? So well, there's, you know, the there's, one gonna, thing there's gonna be a lot of interesting dynamics going forward, which I don't think we can forecast in detail. So what I've been focusing right. on is trying to build well, they, sure general are. intelligence systems, which, which can be ethical and which are hard for any one party to grab hold of and, and control for their own no interests, right? And I think let's if, talk about that in just a second. If you have the tools I for building ethical AGI, I don't know if you can, know if you can it out in a way that can't be grabbed control of. At least then you're you're biasing the odds in favor of a of a positive outcome in the midst of all this uncertainty and potential confusion. Ben, let me ask you this, and we'll talk a little bit about what you're doing in just a second here. Uh, but it seems as though the one thing. Uh, that can be agreed and understood at this point is that the rate of change is going to be simply unprecedented. Uh, you talk about the risks in emerging markets. Uh, I think it's very clear how that risk case can unfold. Uh, in developed markets, you talk about UBI, universal basic income. I guess one of the questions that I have for you is someone who's thought about this uh, from not just a technical perspective, but also a social and cultural context. Uh, what are the risks of a dramatic shift in the way that work gets done. I think anybody who's ever spent time uh, hanging out with kids with trust funds knows uh, the risk case that can unfold uh, when you essentially uh, sort of destroy the, the structure of people's lives and they sit home and they just collect a check and play video games or uh, dive deeper into artificial and virtual worlds. Uh, what are some of the risks that you see from a radical restructuring of society around universal basic income rather than work that is hopefully fulfilling and meaningful to individuals who participate in it? I think that's a fake problem, basically. I think the issue with trust funds, kids, is, is that they're raised believing they have a higher status than everyone else, which is sort of psychologically deforming. And I, I mean, I have I have three three adult kids, age like 33, 29, and 26, or, or something like that, <laughs> and three, three little kids, age five and two. I would say none of my adult kids 
nor their friends have any worry about, oh no, what if I don't have to work for a living and get free money instead? My life will have no meaning. I mean, they've got a lot of ways that their life has meaning that don't require earning money, and they'll be very happy not to have to solve that problem in their lives of finding a, you know, a workable, stable way of, of earning income. I mean, there's intellectual satisfaction, there's spiritual growth, there's making art and music, there's hanging out with your friends, there's climbing mountains, playing sports. I mean, there's there's loads of ways to get meaning in life which exist in our society right now that are separate from from working to get to get paid and, and get get resources. So I, I think for young people, that will be no issue. And there's a lot of young people on the planet. Average age in Africa is for is average age in Africa, I think, is 14, right? So I'm 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 in it's true for more people getting on in years who've come to define their identity around their work, it's going to be very dislocating. I have a theory people will get over this really, really fast, similar to with longevity. Like if if you talk to people, well, should we should we develop a pill that will let people never die? People will be like, no, but death is what gives life its poignancy and meaning. And But if you're like, okay, here's the pill, do you want to restore your body and mind to its 20-year-old condition and, and leave it there until you decide to stop taking the monthly pill? 99% of people are going to say, oh yeah, give, give that to me now. I'll find another way to give life poignancy and meaning that doesn't involve becoming senile old and, and, and rotting in the grave, right? So, I mean, I think I think in the end, that will be a positive thing. And what, what we should worry about is not 50-year-old, you know, CPAs feeling a loss of meaning when they no longer have to work for a living. We should be worried about the people in Africa, Central Asia, and, and Latin America who don't have money to buy prescription medication or or pay their, their phone bill during the transition period between when AGI has taken their jobs and when super intelligence can provide abundance to everyone. I mean, there's just, there's just a lot bigger problems than the small segment of, of middle-aged career people feeling uncomfortable because they because they can get free money and their their status isn't isn't as high as it was before but you know well, i'm not sure i'm not sure that i agree i'm not sure that i agree with you i'm not sure that i agree with you that it's, i'm not sure that i agree i'm not sure that i agree with you that it's just middle-aged career people uh who may potentially be dislocated by this uh you know this notion that it's just going to be people who are over 40 or 50. I think the question about what we do with the structure of our lives uh, remains an open one. I certainly hope uh, that I am wrong and you are right. I was a bit flippant in that, in that response, but I, I, well, I, I do think that younger people on the whole tend to be more adaptive, right? And, uh, and I think we will need we will need, all need to be adaptive, and that's probably a more key, more 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 serious point to be le less flippant about it. I mean, the, as you said, change is going to unfold faster and faster. It's accelerating change, approaching a singularity. There's going to be more and more different on January first each year from January first the previous year, right? So right. that the primary trait each of us needs to have is to be able to you know, think on our feet and uh, pivot and figure out new ways, you know, both to earn money while that's still a thing and also new ways to define meaning in life and new ways to, to, to give, give to others around us. And the ability to adapt will be the, the primary important trait. And, you know, my, my friend 
Peng Wang, who's been an AGI researcher as long as I have, he defines intelligence as the ability to adapt to an unpredictable environment under limited resources, which is, I mean, it's one among many sort of equivalent ways to phrasing what is general intelligence. But I think that's a way to think about it that's very pertinent to what's unfolding in the world around us now, right? Like we all, we all need really badly to be able to adapt to unpredictable conditions given given limited resources. And that's probably Speaking more about limited than resources, Ben, we've got limited time here skill. today. So I want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about what you guys are working on at Singularity Net. Talk a little bit about the project, uh, why you spun it up. Obviously, uh, folks who have been watching the token here, AGIX, about 500% uh, increase in value here trailing 24 tra trailing 12 months i should say uh talk a little bit about what the goals were for that project and where you think you are on that road right now absolutely so our, our goal with the singularity project was to build beneficial decentralized agi and the reason i founded singularity net in 2017 is it was it was already clear to me at that point we were not that long, like maybe 10, 15, 20 years away from machines that are, are, are smarter than people. And I'd had the idea since the late 90s when the internet and the web became a thing, the best way to work toward beneficial AGI would be to deploy the AGI across the internet in a way that had no central owner or controller. Like AGI has to be like the internet or like Linux. It has to be all over, owned by everyone and no one, contributed to by a vast mass of, of, of contributors. And if it's not that, once you have you know, a threshold event where AGI really starts to becoming some group of, of jackasses with selfish urges is going to take control of it and, and try to use it for their own benefit, which could be a big company. It could, it could, it could be a, a country in the military intelligence organization, right? No, I mean, no one controls the internet. No one controls Linux because of the way they're deployed in a decentralized manner. But then an AGI is trickier than the internet or Linux because it has to be like live running systems on, on, on computers. So you really need a decentralized network of live running processes that's running without any central owner or controller. And this, this is enabled by Singularity Net platform. Singularity Net doesn't enforce any particular architecture for thinking machines, but Singularity Net is a platform that any sort of AI algorithm can be run on across a decentralized network of machines without any central owner or controller. And then there's there's other pieces to that platform now. So we we rolled out something called NuNet last year that deals with tokenization of the processing power underlying this network. We did a token sale for HyperCycle just a, a, a month ago, which is a customized layer one blockchain customized to serve the needs of a decentralized AI network. So it's a it's a ledgerless blockchain, which is a quite radical departure from you don't have a replicate replicated ledger anymore, which is actually be must much faster and cheaper, which is really beneficial if you're running a decentralized AI, AI network. So we we rolled that out in 2017-18. We've been making it smarter and smarter. What we're doing now. I and mean, we have that platform out there for anyone to use, but we're building some very specific AGI systems on there. So there's a separate code base called OpenCog Hyperon, which puts together large language models like the one underlying ChatGPT with other kinds of AI, like logical reasoning engines and, and, and like evolutionary learning, which is, which is more creative. So we're using SingularityNet, NuNet, and HyperCycle as a platform 
to put together large language models with, with other AI techniques to try to make the big leap beyond chat GPT. And the, right. the notion there is if we make the next big leap beyond chat GPT on singularity net, new net hypercycle platform and do it you know, in a decentralized way, then suddenly instead of everyone in the world using chat GPT, ben, let me just every, everyone is using, ask you a question. Everyone's using what we've rolled out, but it's yeah. on decentralized yeah. platforms. One of the resources that we, we're limited by right now is time. So I want to ask you this question about something that you said, uh, something that you said that I agree with, actually, I think it was in an interview with Coindesk. You talked about the idea yeah. of the risks of selfish uh, or malevolent uh, elites uh, taking over the uh, artificial intelligence space and bending it, as you say, uh, to their own will. I guess my question for you is this, uh, when, when you have a uh, selfish and malevolent elites as a potential class, you know, in, in the current structure of uh, democratic Western republics, we have at least the ability uh, that we have uh, accountability, just uh, consent of the governed in terms of the way that we think about how public policy gets made uh, when, when uh, elites step out of line, there is a legal process now that we can hold them to account with. Uh, what are the risks of having decentralized autonomous networks that effectively uh, can't be controlled by anyone in control of this technology and driving uh, the back-end processing of artificial superintelligence? I would say, first of all, the ability of current governmental processes to deal with something unfolding as fast as AI is likely to be quite limited. I mean, short of a full-on 1984-style fascist sur surveillance police state, I mean, the, the legal process and the legislative process are very slow, and technology will be advancing advancing faster and faster. So while, while regulation of AI is going to happen and is necessary and important at a certain level, I don't think it is likely to be the major factor in guiding the development of AI toward the singularity, just because the, the time scale is, is so slow. I would also say, until you're at the level of a superhuman AGI, humans are in control. Like, I mean, look at Bitcoin. If we really wanted to kill Bitcoin, all we gotta do is unplug all the mining, all the, all the, all the nodes, right? I, I mean, the same way with an AGI, if it's running on singularity net, new net hypercycle. I mean, if, if there really was a rogue AGI that was bad for humanity as a whole, running on all these machines, I mean, people can still pull the plug. At some point when an AI is much smarter than people, okay, then it's taking control. It's It sent its robots out. It's physically controlling the the, the environment, right? But that that's when you're at, at a super intelligence level. Until that point, hum, humans are still are still in 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 control, and I, I think I think uh, the difficulty really is that humans are at odds with each other. I think the larger risk is during the transition period when AIs are almost as smart as people, or maybe as smart as people, but not yet super smart. I mean, at that point, people will be using AI to try to oppose oppose other people, like we do with all sorts of other technologies. And to me. To me, that's that's where where the worry lies. I, I actually, personally, I believe once we get to a super intelligence, it's going to be super benevolent and super compassionate, as well as super intelligence, and things are going to be pretty good. I mean, greater intelligence tends, on the whole, to bring with it, on average, greater wisdom and greater understanding of other people's perspectives. But before you get to that super intelligence, you've got some very powerful 
narrow AI and quasi AGI tools in the hands of not just malevolent people, but you know, short short sighted and 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 right. dog, dog, dogmatic people who who believe they're doing what's for the best of humanity, but 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 often actually actually are not are not right. And there's right. there's ben, a lot I, of I greatly uh, I greatly that, admire that your optimism. I, I greatly admire your optimism on the long term future of this technology. Uh, I hope that superintelligence uh, becomes more beneficent uh, as it uh, develops. I guess we just don't know uh, because we've never seen this before. Uh, what uh, On a rational level, you sort of can't know, right? I mean, if you're, if you're making something 10 times as smart as people, it would seem like, you know, the confidence interval has got to be very wide if you're doing like a pure, like Bayesian calculation about what will happen. So I, when the conference servers are that wide, really you you have to go based on your your intuition and instinct and sort of spiritual feeling. You, you you the calculations don't work, but in in the earlier stages, the calculations probably do work. And you you can see what will happen if uh, you know Trump, Putin, or Xi Jinping have the first human-level AGI and nobody else does, and they think they have an right. advantage for a year or two, what are they going to do? But that's, right? a, very, I mean, but that's can... a very different argument. That's a very different argument than saying that uh, carbon-based uh, uh, intelligence uh, has the same characteristics as silicon-based intelligence. We just don't know. I guess it's always challenging to do that Bayesian inference on so little data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. That's right. That's right. I really enjoyed this. I hope you can come back and do it with us uh, again soon. Really wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, yeah, thanks. It's a good conversation. And I, I think that, I think in terms of the intersection of AI with, with, with crypto, you know, I think there's a big opportunity, which is, is, is why we're talking. Because I think if we can roll out something smarter than chat GPT on a decentralized framework, like then, then suddenly you've given crypto its first huge application outside of, 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 of DeFi, right? Then everyone who needs to use AI is using decentralized networks, and and this becomes really quite interesting. And a lot of the infrastructure that's been built in the crypto world will come to to a whole new purpose, right? And so this is this is what we're doing in Singularity Net. Just to take a couple more seconds, I mean, we have a project like True AGI rolling out AI for the enterprise, or Zarka, which will be rolling out sort of Chat GPT killer tools for retail. But these these are like real economy projects, but they're all rolling out their products on this decentralized decentralized infrastructure, and this this will create a lot of new economic value in in the crypto sphere, as as well as creating a lot of just plain old human and and, and business value in, in in different different markets. So I think I think the boost we've seen in the sort of AI altcoin sector in the last six months is very small compared to the boost you'll see in the next few years once we start rolling out you know something two three four times as smart as chat gpt on, on, on mm. decentralized networks i mean think about think about the economic impact there for the projects that are doing this 
Well, we're going to have you back in those uh, next couple of years to have that conversation as you roll out more of that technology. Really great conversation. Uh, that's it for today, guys. Remember to sign up for Real Vision Crypto. It's free, of course. Go to realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. We'll be back again tomorrow with Mark Dale from W1 Curates. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London. Thanks for joining us for this great conversation. See you again tomorrow. Hey there. Thanks for joining us today. Just a reminder, today's Crypto Daily Briefing is in partnership with the Crypto Phenom Letter. This one-of-a-kind premium investment newsletter service highlights the next winners coming in cryptocurrency tokens and equities. Get special access today at phenomcrypto.com realvision. That's phenomcrypto.com 